0: Stopping this so terrible habit of mine. Today we're going to hear the first of two parts of the Red-Headed League, another Sherlock Holmes story. Someone asked me what book I was reading after a scandal in Bohemia, so I'll clear that up now. We are doing a Sherlock Holmes series, possibly the entire adventures of Sherlock Holmes. That's like a book of his stories, which is what we're reading. If you want me to stop, we can stop at any time because they don't necessarily have a continuation. But for me to stop, you gotta send me in ideas for new books. My email is in the show notes for that. All right, we have one more announcement today. Today, I'm super excited about this because we have a special guest. I know. So special guest, what's your name? Who are you? Where do you live? I'm just kidding. Just to answer the first question.
1: Hey, my name is Jemmy and I'm a super fan of this podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. We're very delighted to have you.
0: So yes, today we have a special guest named Jenny, and she's going to be doing a voice in today's podcast. Oh, it's so exciting. All right, moving on to the story. The Red-Headed League, part one. I had called upon my friend, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, one day in the autumn of last year and found him in deep conversation with a very stout, florid-faced elderly gentleman with fiery red hair. With an apology for my intrusion, I was about to withdraw when Holmes pulled me abruptly into the room and closed the door behind me. "'You could not possibly have come at a better time, my dear Watson,' he said cordially. "'I was afraid that you were engaged. So I am, very much so. Then I can wait in the next room.' "'Not at all. This gentleman, Mr. Wilson, has been my partner and helper in many of my most successful cases. I have no doubt that he will be of the utmost use to me in yours also.' The stout gentleman half rose from his chair and gave a bob of greeting, with a quick little questioning glance from his small, fat, encircled eyes. "'Try the sauté,' said Holmes, relapsing into his armchair and putting his fingertips together, as was his custom when in judicial moods. "'I know, my dear Watson, that you share my love of all that is bizarre and outside the conventions and humdrum routine of everyday life. You have shown your relish for it by the enthusiasm which has prompted you to chronicle and, if you will excuse my saying so, somewhat to embellish so many of my own little adventures. "'Your cases have indeed been of the greatest interest to me,' I observed. "'You will remember that I remarked the other day, just before we went into the very simple problem presented by Miss Mary Sutherland, that for strange effects and extraordinary combinations we must go to life itself, which is always far more daring than any effort of the imagination.' "'a proposition which I took the liberty of doubting. "'You did, doctor, but nonetheless you must come round to my view, "'for otherwise I shall keep on piling fact upon fact on you "'until your reason breaks down under them and acknowledges me to be right. "'Now, Mr. Jabez Wilson here has been good enough to call upon me this morning "'and to begin a narrative which promises to be one of the most singular "'which I have listened to for some time.' You have heard me remark that the strangest and most unique things are very often connected not with the larger, but with the smaller crimes, and occasionally, indeed, where there is room for doubt whether any positive crime has been committed. As far as I've heard, it is impossible for me to say whether the present case is an instance of crime or not, but the course of events is certainly among the most singular that I have ever listened to. Perhaps, Mr. Wilson, you would have the great kindness to recommence your narrative. I ask you not merely because my friend Dr. Watson has not heard the opening part, but also because the peculiar nature of the story makes me anxious to have every possible detail from your lips. As a rule, when I have heard some slight indication of the course of events, I am able to guide myself by the thousands of other similar cases which occur to my memory. In the present instance, I am forced to admit that the facts are, to the best of my belief, unique." The portly client puffed out his chest with an appearance of some little pride and pulled a dirty and wrinkled newspaper from the inside pocket of his greatcoat. As he glanced down the advertisement column with his head thrust forward and the paper flattened up out upon his knee, I took a good look at the man and endeavoured, after the fashion of my companion, to read the indications which might be presented by his dress or appearance. I did not gain very much, however, by my inspection.' Our visitor bore every mark of being an average, commonplace British tradesman, obese, pompous, and slow. He wore rather baggy grey shepherd's check trousers, a not-over-clean black frock coat, unbuttoned in the front, and a drab waistcoat with a heavy, brassy Albert chain, and a square, pierced bit of metal, dangling down as an ornament. A frayed top hat and a faded brown overcoat with a wrinkled velvet collar lay upon a chair beside him. Altogether, look as I would, there was nothing remarkable about the man save his blazing red head and the expression of extreme chagrin and discontent upon his features. Sherlock Holmes' quick eye took in my occupation, and he shook his head with a smile as he noticed my questioning glances. Beyond the obvious facts that he has at some time done manual labour, that he takes snuff, that he is a Freemason, that he has been in China, and that he has done a considerable amount of writing lately, I can deduce nothing else. Mr. Jabez Wilson started up in his chair with his forefinger upon the paper,
1: but his eyes upon my companion. How in the name of good fortune did you know all that, Mr. Holmes? He asked. How did you know, for example, that I did manual labour? It's as true as gospel, for I began as a ship's carpenter. Your hands, my dear sir,
0: your right hand is quite a size larger than your left. You have worked with it and the muscles are more developed. Well, the snuff then, and the Freemasonry... I won't insult your intelligence by telling you how I read that, especially as, rather against the strict rules of your order, you use an arc and compass breastpin. Oh, of course I
1: forgot that. But the
0: writing? What else can be indicated by that right cuff so very shiny for five inches and the left one with the smooth patch near the elbow where you rested upon the desk? Well, but China? The fish that you have tattooed immediately above your right wrist could only have been done in China. I have made a small study of tattoo marks and have even contributed to the the, literature of this subject. That trick of staining the fish's scales of a delicate pink is quite peculiar to China. When, in addition, I see a Chinese coin hanging from your watch chain, the matter becomes even more simple. Mr. Jabez Wilson laughed heavily.
1: (laughs) Well, I never, said he. I thought at first that you had done something clever, but I see that there was nothing to it after all.
0: I begin to think, Watson, said Holmes that I make a mistake in explaining, omne ignotum pro magnifico, you know, and my poor little reputation, such as it will, will suffer shipwreck if I am so candid. Can you not find the advertisement, Mr. Wilson? Yes, I have got it now, he answered with his thick red finger planted halfway down the column. Here it is. This is what began it all. You just read for yourself, sir. I took the paper from him and read as follows. To the Red-Headed League. On account of the bequest of the late Ezekiel Hopkins of Lebanon, Pennsylvania, USA, there is now another vacancy open which entitles a member of the League to a salary of £4 a week for purely nominal services. All red-headed men who are sound in body and mind and about the age of 21 years are eligible. Apply in person on Monday at 11 o'clock to Duncan Ross at the offices of the League, Seven Popes Court, Fleet Street. "'What on earth does this mean?' I ejaculated after I had twice read over the extraordinary announcement. Holmes chuckled and wriggled in his chair, as was his habit when in high spirits. "'It is a little off the beaten track, isn't it?' said he. "'And now, Mr. Wilson, off you go at scratch and tell us all about yourself, your high school, and the effect which this advertisement had upon your fortunes. You will first make a note, doctor, of the paper and the date. It is the morning chronicle of April 27th, 1890.' Just two months ago. Very good. Now, Mr. Wilson?
1: Well, it is just as I've been telling you, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, said Javis Wilson, mopping his forehead. I have a small pawnbroker's business at Coburg Square, near the city. It's not a very large affair, and of late years it has not done more than just give me a living. I used to be able to keep two assistants, but now I only keep one. And I would have a job to pay him, but that he is willing to come for half wages so as to learn the business. "'What is the name of this obliging youth?' asked Sherlock Holmes. "'His name is Vincent Spaulding, and he's not such a youth, either. "'It's hard to say his age. "'I should not wish a smarter system, Mr. Holmes, "'and I know very well that he could better himself "'and earn twice what I am able to give him. "'But, after all, if he is satisfied, why should I put ideas in his
0: head?' Why, indeed, you seem most fortunate in having an employee who comes under the full market price. It is not a common experience among employers in this age. I don't know that your assistant is not as remarkable as your advertisement. Oh, he
1: has his faults, too, said Mr. Wilson. Never was such a fellow for photography. Snapping away with a camera when he ought to be improving his mind, and then diving down into the cellar like a rabbit into its hole to develop his pictures. That is his main fault. But on the whole, he's a good worker. There's no vice on him. He is still with you, I presume? Yes, sir. He and a girl of fourteen who does a bit of simple cooking and keeps the place clean. That's all I have in the house, for I am a widower and never had any family. We live very quietly, sir, the three of us, and we keep a roof over our heads and pay our debts if we do nothing more. The first thing that put us out was that advertisement. The first thing that put us out was that advertisement. Spaulding, he came into the office just this day, eighty weeks. With this very paper in his hand, and he says, I wish to the Lord, Mr. Wilson, that I was a red-headed man. Why that? I asks. Why, says he, here's another vacancy on the league for the red-headed men. It's worth quite a little fortune to any man who gets it, and I understand that there are more vacancies than there are men, so that the trustees are at their wits end what to do with the money. If my hair would only change colour, here's a nice little crib already for me to step into. Why, what is it then? I ask. "'Why, what is it, then?' I asked. "'You see, Mr. Holmes, I am a very stay-at-home man, "'and as my business came to me instead of my having to go to it, "'I was often weeks on end without putting my foot over the doormat. "'In that way, I didn't know much of what was going on outside, "'and I was always glad of a bit of news. "'Have you never heard of the League of the Red-Headed Men?' "'He asked with his eyes open. "'Never. "'Why, I wonder at that, for you are eligible yourself for one of the vacancies.' "'And what are they worth?' I asked. "'Oh, merely a, merely. Oh, merely a couple hundred a year, "'but the work is slight, "'and it need not interfere very much with one's other occupations.' "'Well, you can easily think that that made me prick up my ears, "'for the business had not been over-good for some years, "'and an extra couple of hundred would have been very handy. "'Tell me all about it,' said I. "'Well,' said he, showing me the advertisement, you can see for yourself that the League has a vacancy, and there is the address where you should apply for particulars. As far as I can make out, the League was founded by an American millionaire, Zakir Hopkins, who was very peculiar in his ways. He was himself red-headed, and had a great sympathy for our red-headed men. So, when he died, it was found that he had left his enormous fortune in the hands of trustees, with instructions to apply the interest to the providing of easy birth to men whose hair is of that colour. From all I hear, it is splendid pay and very little to do. But, said I, there would be millions of red-headed men who would apply. Not so many as you might think, he answered. You see, it is really confined to Londoners and to grown men. This American had started from London when he was young, and he wanted to do the old town a good turn. Then again, I have heard it is no use applying if your hair is light red or dark red, or anything but real, bright, blazing, fiery red. Now, if you cared to apply, Mr. Wilson, you would just walk in. But perhaps it would hardly be worth your while to put yourself out of the way for the sake of a few hundred pounds. Now, it is a fact, gentlemen, as you may see for yourselves, that my hair is of a very full and rich tint, so that it seemed to me that if there was to be any competition in the matter, I stood as good a chance as any man that I had ever met. Vincent Spaulding seemed to know so much about it that I thought he might prove useful, so I just ordered him to put up the shutters for a day and to come right away with me. He was very willing to have a holiday, so we shut the business up and started off for the address that had given us in the advertisement. I never hoped to see such a sight as that again, Mr. Holmes. From north, from the south, east and west, every man who had a shade of red in his hair, had tramped into the city to answer the advertisement. Fleet Street was choked with red-headed folk, and Pope's court looked like a coster's orange barrow. I should not have thought there were so many in the whole country as were brought together by that single advertisement. Every shade of colour there were. Straw, lemon, orange, brick, Irish setter, liver, clay. But, as Spalding said, There were not many who had the real vivid flame-coloured tint. When I saw how many were waiting, I would have given it up in despair, but but Spalding would not hear of it. How he did it I could not imagine, but he pushed and pulled and butted until he got me through the crowd and right up to the steps which led to the office. There was a double stream upon the stair, some going up in hope, some coming back dejected. But we wedged in as well as we could and soon found ourselves in the office. Your experience has been a most entertaining
0: one, remarked Holmes as his client paused and refreshed his memory with a huge pinch of snuff.
1: Pray continue your very interesting statement. There was nothing in the office but a couple of wooden chairs and a deal table, behind which sat a small man with a head that was even redder than mine. He said a few words to each candidate as he came up and then he always managed to find some fault in them which would disqualify them. Getting a vacancy did not seem to be such a very easy matter after all. However, when our turn came, the little man was much more favourable to me than to any of the others, and he closed the doors we entered, so that he might have...